This is the What Matters Most podcast. A 100% listener-supported program. And now, here is your host, Paul Samuel Dolman. Welcome back to What Matters Most. Thank you to everyone around the world who tunes in. Keep your guest suggestions and stories flowing towards me. I appreciate your words. Thanks to the Patreons, too. You're very generous. Today's show is going to be a good one. Uh, This woman has written several books. The one I just read was very deeply moving. It's called All Else Fail, the Unlikely Volunteers at the Heart of the Migrant Aid Crisis. She's also a founder of the nonprofit Humanity Now, Direct Refugee Relief. She's doing beautiful work in the world. It's such an honor to finally have on the show. Dana Sachs, thanks for coming on. Hi, it's so good to be here. I've read a bunch of your stuff, and I was always curious, did you grow up wanting to be a writer and a journalist? Was that your dream when you were a kid? I would say I grew up wanting to tell stories. When I was little, I was writing little books and making paper books with staples, um, you know, about horses and girls who lived out on the prairie. And so I always I always wanted to write and tell stories. So I guess I, I think journalism came a bit later when I got more politically engaged and curious about what was going on in the world. Journalism seemed a really natural way to go in that direction and write about some of the things I thought were important. It's funny you said curious, too, because in your work, I see you as a very curious person. Were you just naturally curious? Did you develop this? How has it driven your life? Oh, well, I mean, naturally curious or, you know, the kid in the back seat asking a thousand questions and the parent saying, can you just wait? Can you just wait? I just that's just my the way my brain works. I I kind of I get almost like voracious about wanting to absorb information and know as much as I can. I don't mean like I'm reading encyclopedias. I just mean if I meet somebody that seems interesting, I want to find out whatever I can from them that they're willing to share with me. Uh sounds like we're kindred spirits. There's no cure for that really, is there? No, you just kind of have to go with it. But it's fun. You learn a lot. It's real. You meet a lot of interesting people. Aren't you amazed that people aren't curious? I find that I cannot believe when someone isn't really curious. Yeah, I mean, I get I think as I get older, I do get I'm more surprised by that. I don't think I noticed it when I was younger. And it was also something it was I was a little embarrassed about because people would sometimes tease me about asking so many questions. And so I would, you know, try to tamp it down. And I think as I've gotten older and maybe we're a little bit less patient and we, we, um, kind of want to be stimulated by people in new ways. And, and so I think people who ask questions tend to be more interesting to have conversations with. So it goes both ways. One of my mentors or somebody wise once told me, you'll never be interesting if you're not interested. Yeah. And I I think I think it's true. I also think that people are um sort of flattered and moved by your interest in them. So if you if you show an interest in people then they might be responding to you in a positive way because it makes them feel good. Dana, how did you get so deeply involved in the refugee crisis? I have written about displacement for a long time. I 
wrote a book about um, an airlift of Vietnamese children at the very end of the war in Vietnam. And um, my, even my novels, in a way, have been about displacement. And um, this particular story actually um, came to me a little bit randomly. A friend of mine who works with refugees in California, um, we were talking on the phone one day back in early 2016, and she said she was going to go to Greece and volunteer with the grassroots aid movement that was happening there. And of course, like most of us, I was watching the migrant crisis going on in Europe at the time. I mean, it was all over the newspapers and we were seeing photographs of, you know, hundreds or thousands of people walking down roads and um, trying to get from one part of Europe to another. And there were people sleeping at train stations and people sleeping in ports. And and I said to her, you can just go over there and, and volunteer. And she said, yes, you can. And I said, wow, can I can I go with you? And I because I have, as I said, I've been reporting about refugees for a long time, but and I and I've been in a refugee camp. I'd been in a refugee camp in Thailand, but I'd never been there when the crisis was quite so hot and, and unstable. And I felt like it would be really good for me to sort of see what was happening. So we went and we only spent 10 days there. And and the reason there were volunteers was that um thousands and thousands, I think by over the course of 2015, maybe a million people had come through Greece, um, mostly from Turkey, uh, fleeing wars, mostly in the Middle East. And they were they were transiting Greece and go, going through the country on their way north into other parts of Europe. And they were mostly war refugees. And in early 2016, the um, the the border closed the european union closed the border between greece and macedonia and thousands like 50 or 60,000 people who had already made it into greece were then trapped and so a um a makeshift camp developed right on the border between these two countries and there were 10,000 people sleeping in tents in these muddy rural fields and um the the traditional humanitarian aid organizations that we expect to be there at times like that really weren't around. I mean, they were there to a certain extent. You could, they would put up, um, they had put up like some porta potties and there were a few large tents and there was some, some medical clinics, but it, that was basically it. It was, it was like a city of people living in tents, mostly little pup tents, two and three people in a tent, or sometimes eight people in a tent meant for two or three people. And they needed everything. They were cold, hungry, not well. There were children who had nothing to do. And so all these individuals really from all over the world had kind of come together to either by themselves or in these small makeshift aid teams to help. And so we did things like serve food and um, deliver, distribute clothing and um, just lots of, they were, people were giving out bananas. They were, they had warehouses that they had, they had put, you know, rented with um, crowdfunding and there were people sending stuff from all over the world and they needed help in the warehouse to organize and we just did what we could. And we also found out that our friends back home were really interested in um, supporting it. So they sent us money. And on that first trip, we um, we raised like $20,000 just by people sending us money through crowdsourcing. And so I came back and thought, this is something I could keep doing. I, I thought it was like really incredible how much people back home wanted to help. And so 
three friends and I here in, in North Carolina, where I lived, um, started what is now Humanity Now. And what we do is raise money and use it to fund grassroots aid projects in Greece and now also in Poland and um, to help the people of Ukraine who are fleeing. That's incredible. What is it in you that's fearless to just say, get on a plane and go to the middle of a crisis? Most people might write a check. I did. Or just send good thoughts or do a couple shows on it. But I mean, you put your heart and your feet on the line and showed up. What What is that in you? That's unusual. You realize, I know you're probably humble about it. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm, I will, I, this isn't humility, but I'm not fearless. I mean, I'm really, I'm a traveler and I love to travel, but I, I am not fearless at all. I mean, I was scared going into that camp the first time and I found it overwhelming sometimes. Um, but I, I mean, I guess we're talking about curiosity earlier and, and my curiosity was stronger than my fear. And, um, and, and I also realized that there's, I was safe. There, I wasn't in danger. I wasn't in a war zone. I wasn't there at night. You know, I mean, I, I, it, it was worth being there in order to see what kind of suffering people were going through and what kind of ways people were trying to help each other. That was worth being there for me and to sort of be somebody who could, as a writer, somebody who could tell people back home what was going on. That was really a worthwhile thing. So I, I wanted to do it. How fulfilling was it to be right there on the ground helping? What does that feel like for you as a human being? I mean, it, it, I, I can't even express it. I, I, it's, it's, um, I don't mean to say that the, that the the kind of joy that I got was because I felt like I was being so helpful. I feel like I was being helpful and I feel like I continue to be helpful. But I mean, this is this is a little bit of help in the face of overwhelming needs. So I don't want to over overstate, you know, the the need is so huge. So the joy, I think, comes from the connections that you make with people who are also trying to do something. And I think you I get I get a sense of pleasure and I guess personally like meaning in 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 um in the act of being involved in a, a community like that. And so um, you know, again, I don't I don't wanna sound overly humble, but but I think people I think the people who do volunteer work or do this kind of work um the most successfully are ones that really are able to see how fortunate they are to be able to do it and that and that it's it's to their benefit so that you you know it's not like we're heroes we're doing it because it 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 brings something into our own lives and it feels like a good thing to do for the world as well how do you avoid being completely overrun and heartbroken i'm sure you were i don't stay there for that long you know i go back and forth and and in my book i mean i I write about people who become volunteers. It's the book weaves together the stories of seven different individuals and families who join this really extraordinary volunteer movement. And, and these are people who were right in the middle of it for months or years at a time. And I describe 
um, how overwhelmed they get. I had a kind of a buffer because I, I go back and forth and, and I don't go so, I haven't gone so deeply. I'm like almost like a second tier, you know, but the people who have really gone deep into it and thrown themselves into it, it, it's a life-changing experience. Well, I won't say it's not life-changing for me. It, it has been life-changing, but it, they have, they have levels of trauma from what they've gone through that, that are significant because they've, you know, they saw people drowning, they saw people dying, they saw people, children sleeping in the mud. And, um, you know, I have little heartbreaks all the time, but, but I had like a little bit of distance from that. I hear it more from other people who've seen it and not so much having seen it. I didn't see it so much myself. Dan, how has it changed you just to be so deeply involved in this work? I would imagine you move through the world in a different way. Yeah. I mean, I feel much more connected to the world. I mean, on, on a really, like a, on a really personal level, I will say with some sense of shame that I really, I mean, I'm a Jewish American woman and I did not have a lot of contact, very little contact with, um, with people from the Islamic faith. And, um, and I also have not had much contact with people who come from countries in the Middle East and Africa. And I have been able to meet with and become friends with so many people who um, practice Islam or, um, you know, just have completely different experiences from my experiences. And the the thing that's been sort of most um, moving to me is how how close we become, how much we understand each other, how similar our lives are. And I mean, one of the things, this is just a small thing, but like in, in Judaism, we have um, a word called, uh, it's sadaka, which means charity. And, um, and in Islam, they have a word zakat, which means charity. And those words are obviously like very close, like the same roots. And it just, you know, and then I talk with some of my my Muslim friends about, you know, Abraham and uh, Jesus and, you know, all these different people that are, Jesus is not a part of the Jewish faith, but, but um, Abraham and Moses, and there's so many, there's so much overlap. And um, I mean, you can read that in a book, but when you're sitting talking with a friend and you're both saying, yeah, yeah, Abraham is somebody in our, our faith too. It's meaningful. It connects us. That's a beautiful self-authentic own too. And as a mother, how it has to touch you too to see these children in these circumstances that were created beyond any of their control, and now their whole lives are altered. We don't know what'll happen, but it's got to be hard to find yourself in a different country in a tent, hoping you have something to eat and some water. Yeah, I I, t I tell the story of um, this woman. I I, I changed their names, but I I call her Rima in the book, and she's Syrian. She was a Syrian housewife, and um she she had five children and one more on the way and um the bombs were they lived near aleppo and the bombs were coming down and she and her husband decided they had to flee and so she couldn't leave because she was too pregnant and so her husband and one of the children went ahead and they said okay the rest of us will come in a few months and and meet you in germany and the husband made it to germany with the the first child really quickly and then she followed a month after she gave birth. So she's carrying a baby. She has a toddler. So she has two children in her arms. Her, her adolescent daughter has two little boys, one on each hand. Those are the other kids. And they crossed from, from Syria into Turkey on foot. And this story, which I tell of, 
of her trying to keep her children alive through that um, is it, it really spoke to me as a mother. And I think the thing, the other thing is that she's not a mother that's different from me. I mean, when she tells me about her life back in Syria, she lived in a modern house and she had a really nice kitchen and she had parties. She was into organic cosmetics and, you know, she was, she was like any woman I know here in North Carolina in terms of her her commitment to her children. It's just she had this challenge that we can't even imagine. And I think when when I hear her story that it starts, I, I start to imagine it. I mean, one of the things I really wanted to to do in this book was to help people understand how close it comes. Like this could be us. It's they're not different from us. They're just when you see them wearing rags, they're not wearing rags because they've always worn rags. They're wearing rags because they've ended up there. And that's where we could be, too. So we need to have compassion for people listening who may not follow us closely. Will you talk about the causes that created this crisis? Yeah, I mean, in in. 2015 and 2016, when it got really, really overwhelming and it was in the front pages of newspapers all over the world, it was mostly people fleeing Syria, as well as a lot of people fleeing Afghanistan and Iraq. And they were, you know, they were basically war refugees or conflict refugees um, who had to leave in order to save their lives. These, the, 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 demographics have changed somewhat. There's still people fleeing those countries, but we're also now seeing a lot of people fleeing conflicts in African countries. And then now climate refugees, people who were farmers who can no longer make ends meet. And I mean, you can call them migrants, but migrants is kind of a negative word. And and, and as if people really want to leave their home just to make a lot of money, I would say that these are people who can't can't feed their children unless unless somebody in the family leaves home and tries to get somewhere where they can where they can make some money and send it back. And I mean, it's really important that we try to see it that way and understand what people are going through, because people that I know, they don't want to leave their homes. They have to leave their homes for whatever reasons. And one thing I loved about the book is that you focused on the seven different people and that made it very personal. And the way you just described that woman, these people are no different than you and I or the listeners around the world. If somebody started blowing up our neighborhood and we had to run for our lives with our kids and the clothes on our back, we would be them in the same way they are us. Exactly, exactly. And and one of the, I mean, all of the people that I wrote about, um, four of them were refugees themselves. And three of them, these are people I focused on. There's other people in the book, of course, too. But these are the people whose lives became intertwined as part of this volunteer community. And as I said, even these refugees became volunteers. They, you know, the woman I spoke about, Rima, who got her five children across the border, she ends up in Greece eventually in a in an illegal housing situation where it's it's a um a- activists had had broken in illegally into an old school in Athens taken it over opened the doors to let refugees in who then put up tents inside the classroom there are 400 people living in this old school and they need to eat and some some like young men were cooking um but she got there and like i said she was a socialite and she was a cook and she got there she's got her five children she's totally by herself 
but she doesn't think the food is very good. She's not happy with it. And so she goes and she says to the young men, listen, I'll do the cooking. I want to do it on my terms. You bring me the food. I'll cook. Stay out of my way. I don't want anybody bothering me, but I'm going to cook for everybody. And she cooked for 400 people every single night. And she's a volunteer. And I mean, it's. I felt like it was really important that I let people know that this volunteer effort included the people who needed help themselves, and they banded together to support their own communities. For all of my movie producer, director friends who I know listen to the show, now there's a movie about this character. I could see her, you know, this incredible woman and cooking for everybody, and it turns into a an uplifting experience. So powerful. And I mean, I don't mean to say that she didn't have really bad moments. I mean, she was in a camp for a while. She had she was living in a tent in a camp with her children and and she was afraid of like rapists and murderers. And so she got she got she couldn't lock a door. So she got two tents and she put one tent inside the other and zipped them both up separately so that they would be protected at night. I mean, she had terror and she had frustration, but the power you know, the power that she was able to find in herself is really, is really, I, I don't even, I should, I was going to use the word extraordinary, but I don't want to say it's extraordinary. I think it's, I think it's a human power that a lot of people find in themselves when they don't have another choice. In the middle of all that, do you ever have, but for the grace of God, go I moments where that could be you? Oh, for sure. And, and I mean, I do think, well, could I do this? Like, how would I do it? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think that's I think that's a, a an important thing to go through. I mean, I hope people that see photographs in the newspaper have those, but for the grace of God, there there goes me. You know, it could be any of us. I mean, even I mean, we live in earthquake zones. We live in in uh, flood zones. I mean, it's it's there's not really a safe place anymore. You mentioned the environmental climate crisis. From everything I'm reading, there's going to be millions and millions of refugees. And as it collapses further, even tens and twenty hundred million refugees, what's going to happen to the world when people, that many people, start moving around looking for food and water and going into places where they're not welcome? We could it could go either way, right? We, I mean, it could just mean more war and more bloodshed and anguish, and it. Or we have, I mean, it's an opportunity for us to see. Uh, the positives and and I mean, there's so much fear of of um, outsiders. But I mean, I don't have to tell you this. I'm, uh, we all know this. We are a country of of immigrants, except for the native peoples who were here first. And and that's what made our has made our country so strong. And of course, we we need workers. And Europe also needs workers. And the the wealthy the wealthy nations of the world need people to come in because birth rates are dropping. And so part of it is, I mean, some kind of a change in mindset and a recognition that that this is in some way our salvation as well, if we can do it right. And if we're willing to do it right and, and put our fears aside and realize that we can help each other. Uh, but politically, that's really, um, it's really difficult. Doesn't your heart just break when we see Ukraine again? It's like you're you did all that work on Vietnam. I've read so many books on it. We've done shows on it. Yeah, I'm thinking of that beautiful song, Where Have All the Flowers Gone? Where the refrain is, Oh, when will they ever learn? Oh, when will they ever learn? And now I would say apparently never. 
Well, but we do have we do have positive models of of um, refugee resettlement that's gone well. And I mean, Vietnam is a fantastic example. If you I mean, I, I often think about some of the Vietnamese refugees that I've known in the United States who they come in as you know, doing work as dishwashers and janitors, and the next generation is going to medical school. You know, I mean, people who we, we kind of, we forget that the people who are refugees and migrants are the ones who got themselves out of a bad situation for whatever reason. And they tend to be quite strong and determined. And I mean, they're, they're, they bring so much in terms of hard work and, and skill that we can use if we if we can find a way to harness it and vietnam is an amazingly resilient country and what the united states did deal with imperialism is one of the great war crimes next to so many of our other great war crimes yeah i would agree with that <laughs> as a mom what do you feel about the environment and the i guess the ongoing collapse that we're seeing now i don't know if you read much but i'm i've had a lot of the top climate scientists on and they keep coming back, and then they're sending me stuff on a daily basis. And anyone who does this, you better meditate, or else you're going to find yourself hanging somewhere. But it's it's happening now, and we're whistling a happy tune. We're like in uh, the life of Brian, where they always look on the bright side of life when they're all on the cross at the end. What what do you think as a mom? One of the things I do, and I I feel like I've um, I've I've allowed myself to to do this. Um, over the past, I don't know, 10 years is I, I'm, I'm select, like I, I, I tried, I don't want to get depressed because if, if you get depressed by these kinds of things, then you're not going to be good for anybody. And so I, I selectively read article, I read the headlines and then I, I think, okay, do I, I think I got the gist of it from the headlines. This is, this is disaster. Um, I read the articles that, that show me hope. I mean, I read some of the ones that are promising disaster too, you know, but, but like, you know, the rivers drying up out West and, but, but I really do think um, I mean, this is part of the reason I, I I wrote my book. Also, that I think that it the human beings can shut down if they if there's too much negative information, and I think that we need to also present the stories that show demonstrate our own resilience and demonstrate ways that we can move forward. Because I mean, yeah, I am a parent, and I don't want to think that life ahead, the future for my children is 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 going to be a complete disaster i want to believe that there's that there's some hope and so and so we need to kind of work to change the way we behave right now and focus on the things we can do to make things better i mean i don't want to sound like i'm just positive but i don't see the point of being only negative i couldn't agree more and all my scientist friends also say do not go to doom like, you know, Monopoly, go straight to doom, do not collect $200. Because if we're doomed, if we go to that, we are definitely doomed. Yes, we need the energy. We need to put our energy into something positive. You know, whatever it is. I was Today, I did read the article in uh, an article in the New York Times about recyclable pl plastics and how they're starting to, you know, you can buy your um, 
your home cleaning products with with some kind of a like a pellet that you add to water and shake it up so that you're not shipping heavy plastics across the country. You know, I read that because I was like, okay, that's a way that I could do something in my own life to make things a little bit better. And we need that. And also, I feel like, one, I was a temporary mortal creature anyway. It's not like I got cheated out of 100 million years of life because of other people's choices. In the time I have, I want to just do the best I can and try to make a difference and then pass the torch if there's someone to pass it to, because it's a privilege. I've had a million privileges. I live in privilege. I want to be a gracious winner who does positive good things and tries to be as gentle on the earth and as kind as possible within my humanity. I'm deeply flawed. And that's all I could do, whether we're doomed or we're not doomed. So why change it? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, we have, we have to go forward. Exactly. And, and I mean, I think we have to find the ways that we can get joy from trying to help make the world a better place. And I mean, personally, I get a lot of that from community. I get it from meeting other like-minded people. And um, I get, you know, I, I, I find a lot of inspiration from the people that I meet and the people I write about who, who could have, you know, wallowed in the mud, but they thought, no, I've got to, I got to get up and dust myself off and move forward and do what I can. And, um, I think we can learn from that and we have to, we don't have a choice. We have to find a way forward. And for me, um, these kind of positive stories, um, sort of point to a way forward. How gratifying has the creation of humanity now been for you personally? Oh, well, I mean, amazingly, it's, um, it's so, it, 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 Every day it gives me faith in um, the people here who are donating because um, we're we're just small. I mean, we're, we're an all-volunteer organization, so we're able to say that 100% of donations go to the grassroots teams that we, that we um, support. And so, you know, we're not a, a big organization with, with uh, um, any kind of sa- salaried people. So, so it's small and the amount of money that we have is small, but we can make targeted investments into these, um, you know, little grassroots aid projects that really can help people. Like we're, we just, we just got back from um, trip, a trip to Greece and Poland a few weeks ago. And, and, you know, like we're going to um, help um, a small organization on Kios Island in, in Greece um, to deliver food packs, food packs for people living in a camp for Ramadan. You know, we can support some of that food and, and we, we help fund the medication in a pharmacy in a camp on Lesbos Island. And we're going to help pay for um, a lawyer in a, um, that who's going to give aid to displaced youth in Athens. And then in, in Poland, um, lots of organizations that are helping displaced people who fled Ukraine, and um, and then also some um, Afghan people who ended up in Poland. You know, they're also refugees. It's just that their story has has sort of gotten overshadowed by Ukraine, but they're also in need. And um, so, just you know, two thousand dollars can help 
provide the food for a shelter for Afghan women for a month in in Warsaw. And that's it's not a million dollars. It's just something that or, or buy them diapers or sanitary pads or, you know, I mean, so so it gives me a sense that I can make a difference and that it, it doesn't have to be, you know, giving a million dollars to the Red Cross and it, it can be a hundred dollars and then you can support 10 women with diapers, you know, for their children for a week or, you know, so I feel empowered by it. And I feel, and I also feel deeply um, respectful and inspired by the people that I meet on both sides, the people who make donations here in the United States and the people who are doing the work and receiving the aid, the other countries. So I'm lucky. I'm very lucky. You know what I love? You came so alive when I asked you this. I can hear the passion, and it makes me want to get on a plane and get over there and help. Well, like I said, I'm lucky. I mean, it's a it's an amazing thing to get to do. I'm not surprised you want to jump on a plane. But, I mean, you can also volunteer. Like, I mean, one of the things that that we encourage people to do these these grassroots aid teams they need volunteers. They need teachers. They need doctors. They need anybody who can like help in a warehouse or um, play with children that they, they need people to go over there and spend a few weeks or a month um, working with refugees. That's what, that's how they can sustain what they're doing. Cause they have very, very tiny budgets. So you can do it. If you want to, you can do it. Tell the people around the world, how they can participate. We're, we have a link on the page to your organization, but uh, obviously send money. Can people just get on a plane and volunteer like way you did with your friend? Will you talk about the opportunities to be, get involved here? So maybe we drum up some grassroots literal support. Sure. I'm going to give you um, a, a, I'm going to give a plug to one of our partner organizations. It's called Indigo Volunteers. If you just um, Google that, you'll find them. And, and one of the things that um, I've, realized over the years is that there are a lot there's a big money making industry for volunteering overseas and a lot of those organizations um are not necessarily bringing volunteers in in ways that are that helpful to the communities that they're trying to help and so if if people ask you for a big fee in order to volunteer um i would stay away from that and so one of the reasons that i i really support Indigo volunteers is that they are a nonprofit and they just um, place people, they, 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 they ask you what you're interested in. And then they, they give you ideas about teams that might be able to, um, you know, use your work well. And it's a much better model than this, you know, give $2,000, $3,000 and um, we'll get, we'll give you a week in Kenya or something like that. That's not so good. Yeah, I've been pitched that too. I don't, that's not to me the way it would happen. Yeah, yeah. So I think that this organization is really helpful and um, I would recommend them. My dear friend, Becca Stevens, who founded Thistle Farms, has been in those camps and her organization uh, sells these welcome mats that the Syrian women wove and put together out of the life jackets that they had coming over and I bought a bunch of them and gave them away. They're an amazing entrepreneur. And then they wanted to be paid for it so they could buy stuff to eat and everything like that. They were like, they all stood in, in strength. It was so beautiful. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, people have all sorts of skills and they just need they just need some help getting into a position where they can do the work they need to do in order to provide for their families and then they can do it. So we want to help with that. Dana being so deeply involved, hands in the dirt, afraid but still powering through it. Does that make you hopeful for our world and for your children's future and really for the future for all of humanity and this beautiful creation we've been gifted? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm I'm an optimistic person and and um it might just be my natural state, but uh I yeah, I am hopeful. I mean, I I find sustenance in in this community and in seeing the ways that people help each other. And I think we need that in order to move forward. And and hopefully the work that people are doing and you know, some of the the people I write about like their their motivation and their commitment i hope will inspire more people because yeah i don't think i think you're right a doom scenario is not is not is not it's not accurate and it's not helpful so we might as well be hopeful because we don't really have a choice you've been listening to the what matters most podcast a 100% listener-supported program. If you feel inspired, please go to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com backslash whatmattersmost and join our family. So until the next time, stay inspired and in the light.